0: I'm Christian Perez, and this is Modernity and Absurdity. And I'm going to call this episode Black Matters because what I want to touch on are a series of issues that are affecting black people in America today. The first one I'm going to talk about is this whole controversy, dilemma, issue surrounding the woman Rachel Dolezal, who was, up until a couple days ago, the head of the NAACP in Spokane, Washington. I'm also going to talk about the Charleston shootings. I'm going to talk about the controversy surrounding the Confederate flag. And I'm also going to talk about what's going on now in the Dominican Republic regarding Haitians. So jumping right in, Rachel Dolezal rejects the term African-American but identifies as black. One of the main issues that African-Americans have with Rachel Dolezal is that despite her activism, being black is something that she has has the ability to turn on and off. It's a privilege that many African-Americans don't have. This hurts her claims of authenticity. She lacks the lifelong experience of blackness. Recently, her parents, which with whom she had had some issues with, they came out and they spoke to local news outlets and they actually said that her background, her ethnic background, in reality is actually German and Czech. okay? Her experience as a black woman is actually very limited. Now, getting into this idea of passing and African Americans that have historically and traditionally tried to pass as white, Passing, historically, has been something that was once actually done out of self-preservation. Many fair-skinned people of African descent had to hide their family history in order to assimilate and ascend into the greater culture. I'll name some people later on. Dolezal did not pass out of self-preservation. She's claimed to have been victimized by racism on a few occasions, but this is where her story actually gets a bit shady. She has been accused of making these stories up. Now this, this is the issue. Now, Overall, as I get into her story, I I don't really have problems with her activism. What she did might have been odd. Some people might say it's wrong. I probably would even say that it's wrong. But she really didn't do anything bad. That's the issue. She didn't turn on blackface and and go dance in in, in a minstrel show. She didn't go on, you know, put on blackface and, and start acting stereotypically. She. She put on the bronzer, she had some work done with her hair, and she went about as a black woman. She adopted her black brothers, who um, she took on as sons and raises her own sons. And largely, she's been a positive activist with the African American community. Okay, but the problem is, as some people, now Tim Wise is someone that comes to mind. Tim Wise is a white anti-racist educator and activist. Now, he made the assertion that in turning down the chance to be white, I'm sorry, to be a white ally, she actually dismissed and avoided a serious history, a proud history of solidarity between whites and blacks. Now, being an ally involves working with marginalized people, means working with black people, but not as a black person, not speaking for them, okay? Look at someone like John Brown, okay? John Brown is an example of someone that gave his life for the liberation of black people. His sons gave their lives for the liberation of black people. Now, he is, in my opinion, America's greatest white revolutionary. Tim Wise, as I said, is a prominent ally, and he uses his white privilege to reach audiences that would otherwise exclude black speakers. We all know a couple white people out there, we all know a few white people out there that When African-Americans start talking about race issues, we know a lot of uh, straight individuals. When LGBT people start talking about LGBT issues, we all know some men who, when women start talking about women's issues, all these groups tend to roll their eyes. So it makes it a little bit easier for a white person to address white audiences. Okay? As a straight man, I can act as an ally with the LGBT community and not have to be one of them. And it's easier for me as a straight man to reach straight audiences. Okay? So to go back to Rachel Dolezal, she hasn't seemed willing to pay her dues in that way. And that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. It seems as if she wasn't really willing to follow people of color and struggle with white people and challenging their preconceived ideas. She kind of just wanted to jump in and there are people that have criticized her for using her white privilege in that way, for you know, adhering to this idea that you know, you can be everything you want to be, which up until the election of President Barack Obama, people of color would actually roll their eyes when they were told things like that because it was thought, you know, we will never be president, we will never ascend to these, these, these high points in society. Okay. Whereas white people, white children in particular, have been told since they were young that they can do anything and be anything they want. One of the things that comes to mind for me, and this is really interesting, I I might have read this article maybe a year or two ago. It was of some middle-class blonde woman who was flipping through the TV one day, and she came across this interview with the Maasai tribesmen. I believe they were in Kenya now. If you don't know the Maasai, they are a people... From Kenya, they're a warrior people. They're the ones that dress in the red. They wear a lot of beads. And they live a very hard life. And they're they're very tough people. And one of the things they talked about was how a woman could never be a Maasai warrior. And her, she decided she was going to show them. So she buys a plane. She was able to leave work. I don't know how. She buys a plane ticket, flies over to Kenya. And I don't know. Once again, I don't know how she got this time off of work. She decides to train with them so that she could become a, quote, official warrior of the Maasai tribe. Now, good for her, you, you know, you, 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 reached a hurdle, but wouldn't she have been better off doing something like CrossFit or the Tough Mudder or something like that? It, it's interesting to me because here's someone who was specifically told she couldn't do something, which, you know, it, it's not, it's not wrong to try to overcome obstacles, but her privilege instilled her with the idea that she could do whatever she want even if it means joining a group that she historically, culturally, will never be a part of. So that's just interesting to me. And that's, that's a small little, little instance, we'll call it, in, in white privilege. Okay, So there's talk these days of race being more like a caste system in America. So caste system, for those of you that aren't really sure, think of when we stereotypically think of the, the structure in India where you've got your rich people at the top, your poor people at the bottom, and everyone is born into their own station in life. And nobody could really ascend or descend. Uh, the, the, the group that you were born into, the class that you are born into, the caste that you were born into is something you are stuck with the rest of your the rest of your life. So there is talk of of, of races or different ethnic groups, because as we know, races aren't true. That when people say race, they really just mean ethnic group. Okay. Um, being like a caste system in America. Now, science promotes the idea that our differences are minimal, which is true. Our differences are biologically are minimal, and here's a quick fun fact. The continent with the most genetic diversity is Africa. Now, of course, I mean with humans, okay? Uh, The continent with the most genetic diversity is Africa, okay? Now, if you think about that, that's because all the people on planet Earth that aren't from Africa are descended from that one small group of Africans that left the continent, whereas everyone else that stayed there. Offers a a different type of, of diversity. Our differences, to quote the cliched phrase, are only skin deep. Now, experience is important. This is where we kind of smack the cliche in the face. Our differences in skin color, no matter how minimal they might be biologically, have given us vastly different experiences socially, culturally, historically, politically. Okay, So I'm going to take it back to 1676, and there was, there was something called Bacon's Rebellion. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but basically you had this, this alliance of poor whites and poor blacks that banded together to fight the rich, okay, the rich white landowners. After the rebellion, there were divides thrown in. Only white people could hold certain positions, only white people could have certain guns, only white people could do X, Y, and Z, whereas blacks were excluded, and these were the roots, okay, I'm sorry, these are the seeds that were planted that grew into modern ethnic and racial divides today, okay, there are, there are instances, and this is one of them, of, of poor whites and poor blacks coming together to face a common enemy, But that was squashed, that was squashed early, early on. So when talking to people about racism, one of the issues that most people really don't understand is the entirety of what racism actually is. Now, when most people think racism, what they think of is lynching, they think of the hate crimes, they think of the Charleston shooting that occurred recently, and all the harsh, ugly things like that. But what they don't realize is that racism is in actuality systemic. It is more than just these isolated instances. It is more than just lynchings. It is more than just beatings. It is more than just targetings. Um, In talking to many of my white friends, I try to explain to them about their white privilege and the fact that in many instances, they might support a racist system, although unintentionally, okay? They get offended, and I can understand that if you only perceive racism, like I said, as lynchings, as the Charleston shooting, as Klan marches, as as as, uh, Segregation if that's the only way you perceive racism if You're being told that you support a system of white supremacy. You're going to get offended Especially if there are people of color in your life that you care about Maybe you're dating a, a person of color. Maybe you're married to a person of color Maybe you've adopted a person of color. Maybe your best friends a person of color and so on and so forth Okay, so like I said, I try to explain to them about their, their privilege, and they, many times they do get offended. Now, white privilege is real, okay? Now, I myself, I benefit from white privilege, and I'm not even white. I have no accent, I have, you know, almost like a Mediterranean type skin color, okay? My features are very Caucasian, so I'm able to benefit from white privilege and I'm not even white as opposed to say an African American or even an Afro-Latino who who might have more African features who might have more um, Native Native uh, Native Native American features or Native Native Mexican features or so on and so forth okay so in talking about systemic racism we know that black children okay and other children of color are punished more severely at school we know that it's harder for people with, quote, black-sounding names to get jobs. Google did a study not too long ago where they put um, the same applications out, one with a, a, quote-unquote, white-sounding name, one with a, quote-unquote, black-sounding name, and they even put, um, I don't want to say felonies, but minor misdemeanors and maybe even some felonies with regards to, to the white names, and those people got called back before the people with black-sounding names. So that's interesting. So like I said, these people are punished more. Children are punished. Children of color are punished more at school. Now, we're lucky to live in a time where almost every institution in our lives, whether they be governmental, whether they be educational, whether it be our jobs, all of them claim, claim to be in favor of diversity. I went to a college which was very proud in the fact that it it, it was one of the more diverse colleges in the country. Growing up, where I grew up in, in New Jersey, I grew up in a very diverse school district. It was one-third working-class white, you know, your Irish, your Italians, your Poles, and, and your mixed whites, you know, for the most part, you're quote-unquote ethnic whites. Like I said, you had a handful of Jews, uh, some Italians, some Poles, some Irish, and mostly a combination of them. You had your African-Americans. Now, even though the demographics are very different now, when I graduated, the largest group of Latin people that were there were Puerto Ricans. So, you had a nice mixture, you had some interracial relationships, you had decent relationships with hard-working teachers, you had teachers of, of, a, of a multitude of different backgrounds. That was cool. So when I went to a diverse college, it was kind of the same thing, but just on, on a bigger scale. So like I said, all these organizations claim to be in favor of, of diversity, but we also understand that many of these institutions, and as I said earlier, they can be schools, they can be places where we apply for work, they can be even prisons. They all show racial disparities. Okay, so I'm just going to read off a couple facts here that I found off the good old internet. From 1980 to 2008, the number of people in prison quadrupled from about half a million to 2.3 million. Okay, the United States represents 5% of the global population, 25% of all people imprisoned on planet Earth. In the United States, people in prison slash parole slash probation are 1 130th or 3.2% I'm sorry, or 3.2% of the population are under correctional control, okay? There are about 1 million black people in prison in the United States today. Out of 2.3 million people, 1 million of them are black people. There are 39 million black people in the United States. That's about 2% of, of all African people in the United States, they are in prison. Blacks are sent to school... I'm sorry, are in prison at six times the rate of whites, and they represent 26% of juvenile arrests. There are five times as many whites that use drugs as blacks. However, black people are sent to prison at 10 times the rate. Okay? Louisiana is actually the world's prison capital. African Americans have a 27 to 28% poverty rate. 45.8% of young black children under six live in poverty. Okay, so there's two ways you could look at this. One of this is to say, "Hey, there is something, there is systemic injustice." Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do understand. Hey, you know what? Black people do have it bad. Uh, Latinos do have it bad. Okay, if you're white and you're listening to this, you're probably going to think that. If you're black or Latino and you're listening to this, you're going, "Yeah, you know, I might not have understood those those facts. I might not have understood those numbers, but there's there's something there that I do understand. I, I am very much aware of the inequality." In society today okay so you could look at it one way like I said you could say hey do we have a systemic problem here okay or you can just say hey these black people they're not working hard enough now if you're gonna sit here and you're gonna say black people aren't working hard enough black people don't care black parents don't care there's an issue because there's other questions that are going to be raised you're implying that there's something wrong with black people and black culture if that's the stance you take, you're a racist. Well, you might not be a racist. I'll take that back. I'll take a step back. You are supporting racism. You are supporting white supremacy. Now, I've had conversations with some more open-minded conservatives, and they like to use the phrase soft racism. Have you heard this one? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and bet that you know, there's no kind of scholarly data on that. There's no peer-reviewed articles that are talking about this. But the phrase is called soft racism. Soft racism says, hey, we just have low expectations for black people. And you're racist because you have low ex- expect low expectations for black people. We just like to hold black people to a higher standard. Well, I mean, and that that's an interesting way to look at it. It's a very condescending way to look at it. But looking at these facts and data, I mean, once again, when I say that there are five times as many whites that use drugs as black people but black people are sent to prison at 10 times the rate there's a disconnect there this soft racism thing it's it's going to be bs okay when someone uses the phrase soft raisin, racism that's key for i'm conservative and i don't understand racism when somebody uses the phrase soft racism that means they don't understand Systemic racism. It's a way for them to reinforce the narrative that black people are just lazy Okay, it's a way for them to say Latinos are just lazy go ahead and google the failures of the so-called Meritocracy the evidence is out there. I'm not going to go into it right now I could just I can go I, I can talk to my parents and I could see them as people that have worked hard their whole lives And they have very little to show for it if you're listening to this Think of all the people you know. Think of all the quote-unquote grown-ups. Everyone that's older than you. Parents, uncles, uh, cousins, grandparents, so on and so forth. People that you know for a fact have worked hard their whole lives and have very little to show for it. Okay? We live in this society that really tries to perpetuate the idea that everybody can be a millionaire, but at the end of the day, you're going to need cab drivers, you're going to need custodians, you're going to need dishwashers. Okay? Someone's going to take those jobs, now, if they're working hard, they deserve to be properly compensated for that, okay? So we shouldn't look down on them because it's a job someone has to do, okay? But just because someone is working hard, just because someone doesn't make money doesn't mean that they deserve it. Now, when people, when certain people can turn to other people and say, well, they're poor and that therefore they're not working hard enough, therefore they deserve it, Okay? goes right back to the caste system in India. Hey, you know what? You're poor because you did something wrong in a past life. It's a way to not properly address the issue. It's a way to avoid the serious issues. Okay, so I've had conversations about white privilege with some white people that I care about, and their response is, oh, hey, I work hard. Well, I I understand you work hard. Life's not easy. Nobody's saying that you don't work hard. You're going to hear a lot of people say when you accuse them of privilege, whether it be male privilege, straight privilege, white privilege, uh, native-born privilege, you're going to have people say, well, I worked hard. I'm sure you worked hard. There is no doubt in my mind that you worked hard. But the path that you've had in life was not, I'm sorry, was, was easier for you than it would have been for other people. So let's look at someone, let's look at someone like, let's just say a black lesbian immigrant single mother, let's say you have a black lesbian from Haiti with a thick accent who's undereducated, you really think it's as easy for her to do well in this society with all the social problems that we have in this country? Do you really think it's as easy for her to quote-unquote succeed in life as for white men, white Protestant men? Look up the phrase, the good old boy network, or just the old boy network. That's going to explain how hard it is for certain marginalized people to succeed in life. Okay? Just think about it. And like I said, go ahead and Google the failures of the meritocracy. Google any of these phrases I'm using. Okay? Like I said, I'm not going to go into it right now. I'm going to save that one for another day. In my upcoming conversation, which I'm going to upload shortly with Dr. Conyers, Dr. James Connors from Cain University, he talks about the attempts to pathologize people of African descent, African descent to make blackness itself a problem. Okay, which is why you hear so many questions and comments about black parenting practices, okay? Why black hairstyles are deemed silly or unprofessional. Okay, and Afro might be considered unprofessional. Cornrows might be considered unprofessional. So what are black people to do with their hair? What are black people to do with their presentation? Okay? In the book The New Jim Crow, Michelle Alexander contains I'm sorry, contends that that, that, that black success stories actually undermine the logic of New Jim Crow and reinforce the system of mass incarceration by having black faces in high places it proves that the system is incorrect because it has worked for a small minority so what that means I'm going to dig into that what that means is in a system of white privilege in a system of of white supremacy you could look at Barack Obama you could look at black CEOs you could look at prominent black individuals and you could say hey it's not hard for black people look look, you've got black faces in high places, you have black people doing well, the system works. Now, the issue with that is A, that doesn't mean it's easier for everybody, that just means that a certain few were able to filter their way through and and do well. Also, what it does is it allows, in a system of white supremacy, that allows people to turn around and say, hey, well, if they can make it, something's wrong with these other people, they're not making it, they're not making it, we don't need to change our system because some people have made it through. Barack Obama becoming president is a major historic moment. It is, it is as a as a man of color, it is something to behold. It is something that I didn't think I'd see till I was much older. But what it does is it allows people to say, see, look, blacks don't have it that bad. A black man can be president. Women don't have it that bad. See, women can be CEOs. Gay people don't have it that bad. Immigrants don't have it that bad. Just because a certain few are able to filter through doesn't mean that it works for everyone else. Now, like I said, she contends that the ideology of the new Jim Crow is to promote these black faces in high places in order to justify mass incarceration. Hey, we could lock up all these bad Negroes because they're not like these good ones over here. They're not working hard and so on and so forth. It always cracks me up when you get these conversations with conservatives, uh, white conservatives who always seem to know what's best for black people or other people of color. It's very interesting to me. We hear all of these misinformed criticisms of of things like affirmative action, okay? The issue is that affirmative action exists to redress historic inequalities or inequities between uh, underrepresented people and the majority population. Now, I don't know the person, but somebody said historically, history has always been affirmative action for white men. White men have always seemed to do well. The system that we live under, this capitalist system that we live under, seems to prefer white men. They've had a head start for hundreds of years. They've had access to certain jobs. They've had access to certain communities. And because of that, they flourished. Now, the reason we have affirmative action, and I'll admit affirmative action is not perfect, okay, is because we have a broken system. In a better, more equitable system, there would be no need for something like affirmative action. Affirmative action may not be the perfect system, but it remains the best system we have. It is a way to ensure that certain people, we won't even say black people, we won't even say Latinos, we'll say women, for instance. It is a way to ensure that women have access to higher paying jobs, more influential jobs, and so on and so forth. Because if you leave society to its own devices quote-unquote others, these marginalized people, will not be able to ascend in society as well as they would without something like affirmative action. Okay, so when people complain about affirmative action, we need to take a step back because usually they are inferring that that this person of color or that person of color or that woman didn't work as hard. These are people that are working hard, these are people that earn their jobs, but As I said, looking at that Google study, okay, if you hold the two side by side, historically they would have chosen the white man. What we're saying now is you take the woman, you take the man of color. We're going to give them a chance to do right um, for their community and their people. Okay? Um, People talk about colorblindness, and that's something I want to touch on really quick because colorblindness is extremely well intentioned. I know a lot of good, caring people that have. Claim to be colorblind, you know, you'll hear them and they'll say well, I don't see color. I don't see race I only see the person now at first. That's something that seems really cool That's something that sounds really cool, and and, and it seems like like it's something that that that's good Okay, I don't see color Now I understand that it's meant to to, it's it's well-meaning But if you don't see me Christian Perez as a brown man as a man of color as as a Latino then you're missing a huge part of my identity if a black man walks into the room, and all the baggage that comes with being black in this society, when we talk about structural indifferences, systemic racism, if you just see him and you try not, and you, and, and you just see him as a man, okay? I mean, like I said, it's well-intentioned, but a big part of his identity, a big part of, of who he is, a big part of how he sees himself and sees the world is a result, a direct result of his blackness. And for you to just blow that off, it, it It's kind of harsh as I said I know it's well-meaning, but it is kind of harsh now. Let's let's Extend that to something like let's say you said well. I don't see gender. I only see person I don't see men, men and women. I only see the person if you were to say to somebody Hey, I don't I don't see men or women. I only see the person that's gonna come across as kind of silly think of it as the same thing when thinking of people of color Okay, jumping back to Rachel Dolezal, one of the reasons she was able to be to pass was because there's plenty of so-called quote-unquote Black Americans or African Americans who look just like her. Okay, you can go down the list of quote-unquote light-skinned Black people, whether they be Mariah Carey, whether it be Barack Obama, whether it be Derek Jeter. Okay, people don't understand that our racist system requires whiteness to be something that is very, very fragile. Anything that isn't perceived as mainstream white and deviates from that falls under the one-drop rule and then becomes not white. Derek Jeter is not white. Mariah Carey is seen as not white. Barack Obama, despite being raised by his white mother and his white grandparents in a predominantly white part of the country, is not seen as white. These biracial people... Are seen as black, even though they are not fully black, and their identity might not reveal something that is fully, quote-unquote, black. Look up Homer Plessy from the Plessy versus Ferguson trial. Google images, look, I'm sorry, go to Google, look up an image of him, and you tell me if he looks if he looks black to you, because he was considered black. Look up the writer, Anatole Broyard, who was a Creole, okay? Look up how white he is. He looks like he could have been Italian. He, he, considered himself black and hid that from his children, um, for most of his life. But looking at these people, they are not black people, but because they have that, you know, because they fall under the the quote unquote one drop rule, they are then considered black. Now this has issues. People trying to hide their blackness despite the fact that they're really, really white. I mean, this is an issue. Think of the psychological damage that this causes. It's serious. It's not something to be trifled with. It's it's extremely damaging. Conservative America's inability to properly grasp something, like the Charleston shooting, shows how unable they are to deal with serious racial issues in the United States, as well as other serious issues. By labeling it an attack, as they did, on Christianity, they've made themselves totally unprepared to deal with with these attacks on black churches. So I'm talking about the recent string of fires that have, that have um, plagued black churches. Now, I'm sure some of them have, as some people claim, turned out to be lightning. But let's say two of them turn out to be lightning. That would leave six to seven more instances where specifically black churches have been burned. By not calling into question the issue of white supremacy in America, no matter how implicit it may be, Okay they have in effect strengthened white supremacy If you are sick do you ignore the cold or do you try to or do you address it and try to get better if you break your leg are you going to ignore it or are you going to try to fix it The remedy that so many conservative pundits politicians talking heads demagogues they they try to ignore it they try to deny it so as the problem gets worse they come up with either other excuses or they don't know how to properly address it it's a shame, and I'm going to get to that a little bit more for in a, in a few. But briefly, let me get to get to this whole question of being transracial. So Rachel Dolezal, the white woman of Czech and German descent, who claimed to be transracial, okay, she's taken a lot of press, okay, and like I said, she claimed to be transracial. And what we see is this silly conflation of Rachel Dolezal's story with the story of Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner. Now, this is just silly. Transracial, as Rachel Dolezal considers herself transracial, is nowhere near the same thing or in the same story as being transgender. Okay, this is just silly. Caitlyn Caitlyn Jenner is a transgender individual. Being transgender is something that's accepted by every credible psychological and medical institution on the planet. Okay, transgender people are born transgender. They are born with a physical body different from the gender with which they identify. It's a complex issue. Sexuality is a spectrum. It's not black and white, as many of these conservative leaders want us to think. That's just the way it is. The instances of, of, you could say, gayness, it it exists in the animal world. It exists, I'm sorry, this, this spectrum of sexuality exists in the animal world. It's out there. Look for it, do the research. Nobody chooses to be gay, nobody chooses to be transgender. So even if you're uncomfortable with it, you're going to have to get over it because it's absolutely not a choice. Transracial, in the way that Rachel Dolezal is using it, is something that's absolutely non-existent. It does not exist, it is not real. Transracial refers primarily to people of one ethnic group raised by people in another ethnic group. So let's say you are Korean and you're raised by a white American Jewish family. Although you are a Korean individual genetically, culturally, you are a white Jewish person. That's transracial. That's how transracial is properly, is properly used. And there's a wealth of research out there. There's a wealth of data out there. And there are a good number of transracial individuals that have come out and laid commentary on the Rachel Dolezal all situation. Okay. Rachel Dolezal is not transracial. Her brothers, let's look at these brothers that she had that were adopted by her white parents and even those brothers that she raised as her own black sons. Okay. These people raised in a white family, they are transracial. Rachel Dolezal is not transracial. The whole situation might be odd. It might be weird. Um, she doesn't get anything you might think from passing as black. Okay? Historically, like I said, um, black people had to pass as white, whether it be Homer Plessy or Anatoly Briard or whoever. Okay? She didn't really benefit from anything. She just got to be black. And even the NAACP in Spokane came out and supported her. They supported her work. They supported her research muck has been thrown into the entire situation and even i'll admit it's odd but it's really not as bad as some people would think it's not as bad as the conservatives make it out to be but a lot of black women are rightfully indignant at this situation because their experiences are real and the fact that they can't turn off their blackness in the system of white supremacy and white privilege that's real that's just how it goes going to read off a couple names. Let's see if you can figure out what I'm talking about. The Reverend Clementa Pickney, age 41. Pickney had been well known as a community activist and supported legislation as a state senator requiring police to wear body cameras. He leaves behind a wife and two children. Cynthia Hurd, age 54, worked at the Charleston County Public Libraries for 31 years and it will be renamed after her. Sharonda Coleman Singleton, age 45, was a local high school track coach and a mother of three. Tywanza Sanders, age 26, was a recent graduate of Allen University in Columbia, South Carolina, and their Division of Business Administration in 2014. Initial reports indicate that he actually died while protecting other members of his family. Myra Thompson, age 49, was the wife of Reverend Anthony Thompson, the Vicar of Holy Trinity Reformed Episcopal Church in Charleston. Ethel Lee Lance, age 70, was a grandmother and had worked in the church for more than 30 years years. Susie Jackson, age 87, was also a grandmother, and she also happened to be Ethel Lee Lance's cousin. Daniel L. Simmons, age 74, was the only victim who did not die at the church. 74-year-old Daniel Simmons succumbed to his injuries at a local hospital. Simmons is actually a, was a retired pastor from another church. And then DePayne Middleton-Doctor, age 49, worked as a former manager of the U.S. Department of Commerce. Bible study, minding their own business in their own house of worship, let in a piece of trash named Dylan Storm Roof, who took advantage of their kindness. They got him to sit close to the reverend so that he could be properly introduced and feel comfortable. Then he killed them like a monster. He accused them of, quote, taking over and raping white women. Five of the dead victims are women. He gunned these people down like animals when he himself was the animal. In his manifesto, he talked about not going into the quote-unquote hood. He didn't have the guts to attack black people in a situation where they may have been able to defend themselves. He specifically sought out a black church while these people were in prayer, while these people were in their most vulnerable, and he slaughtered them. He is, a, he, he is a domestic terrorist. And at 21 years old, he killed nine people with a 45 caliber pistol from his, that was actually given to him by his father um, this past April for his 21st birthday. Isn't that cute? In order for him to ascend to manhood, he was actually given a gun. A gun was given to him as a symbol of manhood. He then used that gun to slaughter these people in cold blood like a monster. 21 years old. There's all kinds of photos of him wearing a South Africa flag patch as well as, I'm sorry, um, we'll say apartheid-era South Africa flag patch, as well as a a flag of the former state of Rhodesia, which is now actually Zimbabwe. And these pictures are all over the internet. There's going to be a lot of people trying to point fingers. People are already pointing fingers. But I know who's to blame. These right-wing, gun-toting conservatives, they're the ones to blame. This was a hate crime. This crime was committed because these individuals are black or were black. Now, these conservatives are trying to come out and say, oh, it's because they were Christian, not because they were black, as I mentioned earlier, which is actually insulting, not only to the victims and to their families, but all black people and allies of black people as well. Other progressives, conservatives, Conservative leaders, politicians, demagogues, talking heads will do anything they can to shift the blame onto anyone else. Can't find a job? It's because immigrants took it. Home life falling apart? It's because your wife's not listening to you. All these immigrants, they need to leave. They're taking our jobs. All these black people, they're getting uppity and so on and so forth. There's always someone to blame when in reality that you should look in the mirror. One of the NRA NRA heads actually insinuated that Pastor Pickney was actually to blame for his own murder because, as a state senator, he voted against having guns in churches. You believe that? It takes some takes some serious guts to say something like that. So, if you think for a second that this violence is actually going to stop, you are sadly mistaken. If you think praying will help, you are also sadly mistaken. Okay, I'm an atheist. No gods, no angels, no demons, no devils, no magic, none of that. But I support their right to worship as they see fit. I believe in a healthy democratic republic. Okay, I support Muslims and Jews to do the same as well. Buddhists. This is the 14th time that President Obama has had to make a similar speech like this. Gun violence is a national embarrassment. And these gun nuts are a national embarrassment. Okay, They are a stain on our republic, but nothing's going to happen. I saw this tweet maybe a week or two ago, that said our country had accepted gun violence because after Sandy Hook, after watching a bunch of little children get butchered, and we did nothing about that, after we realized that we could stomach that, that was the moment that the gun control argument was lost. That was the moment the bad guys won because as a country, if we can stand, for, if we can stand children being butchered, The argument's already over. So these poor nine people that were worshipping, minding their own business, these poor people that were gunned down, they will not get justice. Okay, because Dylan Roof, going to prison, sitting in prison for the rest of his life, that's not justice. It's a shame. This is where we're at as a country. And I've been saying for some time now, things are going to get worse. You heard it here, and I'm going to say it. Gun violence... Race issues are going to get worse in this country before they get better. It's got to hurt if it's going to heal, and we've got a lot of hurt coming up. And I'm sad to say that, and it pains me to say that, but I believe it. So you have these right-wing politicians, these Republican politicians, Lindsey Graham, Rudy Giuliani, Ben Carson, Rick Santorum. Like I said, they were calling it an attack on religious liberty. Just proving again for the umpteenth, umpteenth time that they are totally unworthy of being called president. This inability to address the issues head on makes them makes them unfit to be called president. Fox News is doing what it does best, misinformation and avoiding stating the obvious. You look at these clowns, these talking heads on Fox and Friends, and the first thing they were trying to do was spin the narrative, okay? They like to claim that they're fair and balanced. Bill O'Reilly claims to have the no spin zone, but all they will do is avoid stating the obvious. Jeb Bush, the uh, the brother of, of W, Scott Walker, Marco Rubio, they actually offered short statements after the shooting on Twitter, extending their prayers and condolences to the victims, okay, and to the community. But they all avoided any mention of the gunman's apparent racist motivation or even the victim's race. I mean, that's a shame. Okay? These people are reinforcing white supremacy by not calling it what it is. Glenn Beck, okay, <laughs> Glenn Beck, who is a sorry excuse for a human being and Breitbart News, which was created by um, I'm forgetting his first name, but the guy's name was Breitbart. He was another, he was another scumbag. He actually died. Okay? So Glenn Beck and Breitbart News, these are the kind of right-wing outlets that promote this race war narrative. This myth that white people are, or, or, or Christianity, that they're under attack. Okay? These people and organizations are just as guilty. Okay, we know where this guy was getting his news. We know where he got his ideas from. It's obvious. We know that he got his ideas from from racist organizations that supported the Republican Party in the past. Now, you're going to have these people come out and say, oh, it was mental illness. He was obviously mentally ill, and that may have been a part of it, but that's actually offensive. I've worked with people that are mentally ill. And it allows people that promote hate speech, speech against blacks, Latinos, women, immigrants, the LGBT community, when when you blame it on mental illness, you let the guilty parties off the hook. I know plenty of people, like I said, we all have met people that are mentally ill, but mental illness isn't the reason they did it, okay? This guy, Dylan Storm Roof, he may have been mentally ill, but that illness was one thing. Once he mixed it, once it was mixed for him, with hate speech and misinformation from the conservative media, this created a dangerous alliance. He was given someone to blame. He was given someone to hate. And he acted on that. He was given a gun at age twenty-one as, as some of some sort of rite of passage into manhood. All these, these 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 dangerous ingredients are thrown into the cauldron and it creates this monster called Dylan Storm Roof. This is only the beginning. Things are seriously going to get worse. Now there will be inevitably be those that jump on the media, and, and you've seen these people. You know they're already calling it's reporting race baiting, talking about racism is racism, calling out inequality is 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 racism, pointing to the problem. I, I've even been told, Christian, you know you're stirring the pot. I'm not stirring the pot. I'm calling I'm calling the pot black. I'm I'm calling it as I see it. I'm telling it like it is. But what is astonishing is the inability to see that the real race-baiting is, in fact, the white supremacist organizations that are allowed to spread their messages of hate. That's race-baiting. Complaining about black people taking your job, saying that black people are going to rape white women, which is the oldest thing in the world, okay? The entire history of, of, of segregation and anti-miscegenation laws and the fear of black people in particular black men has been this this fear that they're gonna that they're just animals and they can't wait to just rape white women which is sexist in itself because then it says white women are a not strong enough to take care of themselves and b not intelligent enough to make the decisions of who they care about that they need these strong proud white men with guns to take care of themselves I mean it's a whole can of worms it's it's a shame the fact that the Confederate flag is allowed to fly on public spaces that confederate, confederate generals get statues and streets named after them, okay? These are issues. That's race baiting, okay? When you have a street or a statue named after a Confederate general and a black person criticizes that, the black person is race baiting? Come on, let's be serious. That's called cluelessness. That's called the inability to be self-reflective. Now, according to homicide data, and I'm going to get to this flag nonsense in a little bit, I'm going to get to this heritage nonsense, I'm going to get to this Civil War states' rights nonsense in a few, okay? But according to homicide data collected by the UN Office on Drugs and Crime, okay, and it was actually compiled by the Guardian newspaper, the U.S.'s annual gun homicide rate of 2.97 fatalities per 100,000 people is triple the rate seen in many of the world's other wealthy nations, I'm not talking about El Salvador. I'm not talking about Guatemala. I'm talking about Western Europe. I'm talking about Canada. I'm talking about Australia. And our culture of, of machismo and white supremacy, any attempt to question the norm is absolutely met with hostility. You see them. They get angry. They don't want to talk about race. They don't want to talk about their privilege. So the first thing they do is they get angry. Look up white fragility. Take Stop it right now and go look up the phrase white fragility. Look at the research. Um by the woman. Her name is, I think it's Robin DeAngelis, I believe. Look up what she's written about white fragility, okay? Look up the so-called men's rights movement. If you want to see a group of, of, of whining man children, okay, look up the men's rights movement. Tell me these people aren't the most immature, childish group of individuals you've ever seen in your life, okay? Look at Gamergate. Google Gamergate and the inability of, of some, some gaming nerds to deal with white, I'm sorry, to deal with women within their culture. Look at the amount of women, okay, look at the amount of feminists being threatened with rape and murder over the internet. It's disgusting. We have cultures of privilege and cultures of supremacy in our country, on our planet, and it's disgusting. But I've been saying it a while now, like I said, things are just gonna get worse. Our culture will continue to to decay as long as the evils of white supremacy, sexism, Homophobia xenophobia and their mother capitalism continue to exist the ugly this ugliness is the new norm People walking into churches and killing people walking into schools and killing children. This is the new norm This is how it's going to be until we as a country do something about it historically underrepresented groups historically underrepresented groups are not going to sit down for much longer Okay, all this, this, this complaining about PC culture. Do you want to know why there's been such a, a, a burst in, in, in quote unquote political correctness? That's because historically, women, people of color, all these marginalized groups did not have access to the discussion. They were not able to add to the discourse. But with the creation of things like social media, the internet, Twitter, Facebook you have historically underrepresented people who are now who are now able to get their point across and when they feel slighted or Insulted they're gonna say something about that The problem is people have mistaken lack of access to complicity Black people were not okay with being made fun of historically. They lacked the ability to say something about it Gay people do not like being portrayed being portrayed a certain way. They're going to say something about it. This isn't something, you know, they didn't just wake up one day and decide, hey, we're gonna be angry all of a sudden. They've always been angry. Now they have a chance to say something and do something about it. Now if you look, most of the people that complain about political correctness, so recently it was that clown, Jerry Seinfeld, who's never been funny, by the way. Okay? That guy's worth something like like eight over eight hundred million dollars. So this 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 white man that is worth eight hundred million dollars is gonna complain about political correctness. Shut up and go sit down. He he he's such a clown that guy. But going back to the flag, South Carolina won't even take its flag down to half mast because that's considered illegal. It's actually written into their state law that even though the um the state flag ha- can come down at half mast, the national flag can come down at a ha- half mast, the the Confederate battle flag can't. Okay? That means that this guy, this Roof, this human piece of garbage, he wins. The bad guys win again. Get used to it. Unfortunately, that's just where we're at now. But I'm gonna talk about this Confederate flag nonsense. You're gonna get all these people talk to you, oh, it was about states' rights, the flag is about heritage. It, the, the, Civil, the Civil War was not about states' rights. Okay, this is revisionism that came later when white descendants of the Confederacy didn't want to feel like they were the bad guys. So this goes back to what I was saying about white fragility. Okay, so they decided they're just going to change history. And all these institutions, whether they be the school books that don't want to offend the South, so they're going to word things a certain way whether it be politicians, whether it be demagogues, these are people that are now going to avoid the issue. And this lie has been pushed so long. It's been pushed for so long that they just get away with it. Okay, the South seceded over slavery, period. The states' rights propaganda showed up much later. The South was trying to justify slavery. So let's go to the statements of secession. So South Carolina, in referencing the northern states, it said they, quote, have enacted laws which either nullify the acts of Congress or render useless any attempts to execute them. Okay? They were upset about this because the North's laws actually often allowed slaves to stay as free men within their own country. So if you made it to the North, you got to be free. Okay? In their declaration, South Carolina seemed to get really mad over the fact that the North... Labeled slavery as sinful. God forbid seeing one human being claiming that they can own another human being as sinful. Okay? They went on to write that the North had, quote, encouraged and assisted thousands of our slaves to leave their homes. And those who remain have been incited by emissaries, books, and pictures to servile insurrection, unquote. Think about that. The North was guilty of trying to teach Africans to read or look at pictures because they might want to they might want their freedom states rights though right georgia once again referencing the north the north quote with punic faith shield and give sanctuary to all criminals who seek to deprive us of this property or who use it to destroy us criminals being runaway slave running away from slavery running away from rape murder torture oppression forced servitude That was criminal. Okay? Georgia was angry that the North was not returning them. Mississippi. Oh, Mississippi. Okay? Quote, Our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery, the greatest material interest of the world. So, in talking about uh, slave labor, it, quote, supplies the product which constitutes by far the largest and most important positions of the commerce of the earth. A blow at slavery is a blow at commerce and civilization. Early capitalism, in this sense, necessitated slave labor. These people were making so much money off of slavery that they were not willing to let it go. And they justified it, okay, as—I'm sorry, they justified the attempt to free slaves. They they, they worded it as, quote, once again— a blow to slavery is a blow at commerce and civilization. Think about that. But it wasn't about states' rights. Texas, Texas, Texas. Ugh. I'm just going to quote directly with Texas. I'm, not, I'm just going to give you the quote and you let me know what you think about it, okay? Email me, PerezPodcast at gmail.com at Perez podcast on Twitter you you hit me up and you let me know what you think about this okay this is this is I'm quoting this directly from Texas's statement for, of secession quote we hold as undeniable truths that the governments of the various states and of the confederacy itself were established exclusively by the white race for themselves and their posterity that the african race had no agency in their establishment that they were rightfully held and regarded as an inferior and dependent race. And in that condition, only could their existence in this country be rendered beneficial or tolerable. Unquote. Black people need to be second class, they need to be slaves, and that's just how it's going to be. I'm going to give you another one, another quote. Quote, That in this free government, all white men are and of right ought to be entitled to equal civil and political rights. That the servitude of the African race as existing in these states is mutually beneficial to both bond and free and is abundantly authorized and justified by the experience of mankind and the revealed will of the almighty creator. I'm sorry, end quote. God allows it. This is what God wants. They were only fulfilling God's will. Now I'm going to get into religion later on at another date. I'm going to get into Christianity, and I have said for years now that Christianity is the perfect religion because you could do absolutely anything you want with it. Okay? They have what's called buffet Christianity or cherry picking. It means I'm going to pick out what I like, and I'm going to ignore what I don't like. Christianity has, used, has been used for many good things. It's also been used for many terrible things. So whenever somebody talks to you about the Civil War and they want to talk to you about states' rights, tell them to look up the statements of secession. Tell them to look up the exact reasons for why these states seceded from the union. let me Let me go back so when when, when South carolina says says or, or when they're they 're indifferent, they claim to be indifferent because they were called sinful for wanting slavery. You know, fast-forward it up to 2015, and, and and talk about the inability. Think about the inability for for white South Carolinians and white Americans, okay, not all of them, but many of them, and how unable they are to deal with these issues. They don't even understand the civil right. I'm sorry, the the reasons for the Civil War, and because they are misinformed about their history, they are misinformed about modernity. These are serious problems. These are problems that we might not address anytime soon. These are problems that we're going to be dealing with for a while. So, I'm briefly just going to touch on the Dominican Republic. I know I'm getting down to the wire here. I have a good friend that's involved in Holocaust studies. And one of the things, one of the big conversations within Holocaust studies, or even say, we'll say, One of the questions posed Holocaust studies students is are we going to study the Holocaust in this instance, the Holocaust of Jewish people by the Nazi regime during World War II in the 30s and 40s? Are we going to look at the Holocaust in its historical context? Or is a connection to historical and contemporary injustices? I'm going to choose the latter over the former. Now, it's important to understand the Holocaust, why the Holocaust happened, how the Holocaust happened, but we need to connect, I'm sorry, we need to connect it to injustice worldwide, okay? This is a serious issue, okay? Right now, what we see going on in the Dominican Republic is the culmination of bad blood and, and, and a lot of history between these two states, So there's been this series of legal steps that have been taken since 2004, and they've done away with birthright citizenship. So as we know, if you're born in the United States, you're an American citizen. And traditionally, it's pretty much like that in many countries. It was like that in the Dominican Republic. And in 2004, they did away with birthright citizenship. And a decision by the Constitutional Court in 2013 applied this new standard actually retroactively, which required the federal government to strip citizenship from Dominicans born after 1929 to undocumented Haitian parents. So if your parents are undocumented in the United States, let's say they come from Ireland. Okay, we'll say Ireland in this instance. If your parents are undocumented and they come from Ireland, and you're born here, you still become an American citizen. What this law would do if it were established in the United States is it would take away your citizenship. It would say you are no longer an American citizen. Well, they're doing this to Haitians, in the Dominican Republic and they're saying you are no longer Dominican citizens. These are people that have been here I mean even look 1929. These are people that had been I'm sorry not here, but the Dominican Republic for some time Okay, they've been there for some time and all of a sudden they're no longer citizens Now if the Dominican government decides to deport these people, where are they gonna go? Many of them presumably don't speak Creole. Many of them have never been to Haiti What are they going to do? Haiti is the poorest country on this side of the planet. It is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. It was a former slave republic that led a revolution against the French, and they've been paying for that ever since. Look up the book Killing Hope. By William Bloom. He's an ex-foreign service officer. The book was very influential on me. And look about look at what the United States did in Haiti during the Duvalier regime. That's Papa Doc Duvalier, not baby Doc Duvalier. This is a serious issue that they're facing in the Dominican Republic. Okay, but let's say all of the Haitians go. Let's say best case scenario for the Dominicans that, that, that don't like the Haitians. Best case scenario. Let's say that they let all the Haitians go. Then what happens? What's the next step? Is everything going to be perfect? Is everything going to be okay? Does Dominican Republic automatically overnight cease to be a developing nation? When when that blows up in their faces, who gets blamed next? Who are they going to go after? Are they going to go after gays? The big joke is that, not the big joke, but the big issue is that Dominicans are very black. But they tend to not see their blackness as blackness. They see the Haitians as being more black than them. And for that, they hold it against them. Now, I believe about a week or two ago, a man identified by the newspaper by his nickname as Tulile was actually lynched in the Dominican Republic. His hands and his feet were tied. This man was lynched, very reminiscent of the Southern Terror in the United States and the Jim Crow era in the United States—not the new Jim Crow era with which we're living now, in which we're living now—but the original Jim Crow era from from the 1860s to the 1960s—that that period that spanned a century after the end of the Civil War, okay? Now the local police in this joke of a Dominican town, they actually rejected racism as a motive because we're all idiots and we're supposed to believe that. And they said, I'm sorry, and the investigators said that they believe the killing resulted from a robbery because when you rob somebody, it's not enough to just shoot them, okay? It's not enough to just kill them, okay? So this robber decided to get a little bit creative. Maybe he's a comic book character. So he tied the man, hung him up and, and, and left him there to die. That doesn't make sense. That's a joke. It's a crime. These are are serious issues that you're dealing with in the Dominican Republic and this inability to come to terms with their own blackness, the blackness of the Dominican Republic, the inability to come to terms with Haiti, these are all problems that are not just going to go away when you deport uh, uh, 200,000 people. These are serious times in the Dominican Republic. Just to give you a couple historical points, uh, the Dominican Republic actually took in Jewish refugees during the Nazi era in, in Germany. Okay, when Europe was exporting, was uh, deporting, exporting, was deporting Jewish individuals, the Dominican Republic took a great number of them because they wanted to whiten up their race. Now, Dr. Conyers is going to talk about, um, we're, we'll briefly have a discussion on race whitening and also Republican Spain. When a lot of Republicans fled the Franco regime in Spain, the Dominican Republic actually took them in because once again they wanted to white, whiten their people. It is common knowledge, like I said, that many Dominicans are black people. Many Dominicans are what we in the United States would call black people. This is why it's so scary. If you get a chance, check out the documentary Black in Latin America, it was put on by PBS. It was narrated and hosted by uh, Henry Louis Gates. It's really good. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take us to my conversation with Dr. James Conyers, the Director of Africana Studies at Kane University. Hopefully he can shed some insight into what African American Studies is, what is African liberation, what is Afrocentricity. Stay tuned. He's going to get into it. He's a brilliant man. And my only regret from that conversation was that I didn't get to sit with him longer. We live in an absurd world. Take care of yourselves out there. Once again, that's Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Modernity and Absurdity. And you can send us, I'm sorry, you can find us on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Perez Podcast. Take care now. Bye-bye. This is your last chance. After this, there is no time. Take the blue pill. Story ends. Wake up in your bed and whatever you want. Take the red pill. Stay in Wonderland. If this were a dictatorship, it'd be a heck of a lot easier. (laughs) Just so long as I'm the dictator. (laughs) crowd. The haves and the have mores. Some people call you the elite. I call you my base. Saddam Hussein has got weapons of mass destruction. Saddam Hussein is a threat to America. Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. Saddam Hussein aids and protects terrorists, including members of Al-Qaeda. No, we've had no evidence that Saddam Hussein was involved with the September 11th. for the truth to sink in. Gotta catapult the propaganda.